Jack Hallinan and Thomas Johnson here for our first episode of For the Win in the 2023 school year. It's great to be back. It's been a while, though, Jack. So we're going to start off with some NFL, Jack. And we were talking a little bit earlier about that vaunted AFC East. Two top dogs, the Bills and the Dolphins, both 3-1. and one, But the Bills just beat the Dolphins 48-20. to 20. Who do you think at the end of the season will rise to the top? I'm going to stick with the Dolphins for now. Because I think... People are, are overreacting a little bit to the Bills' win. And they had a very strong performance on both sides of the ball, and I don't want to take that away from them. But you have to remember that the NFL is, is a league of overreactions every single week. And just in the same way that the Bills lost to the Jets in week one and Josh Allen threw three interceptions, that same kind of result can happen to them down the road, even if they just beat the Dolphins now. So, you know, with the Dolphins, we've, we've, so, we've seen a track record of very strong offense. Even against the Bills in the first half, or at least the first quarter. So when you have to react every single week on podcasts and stuff like that, it's always tempting to pick the most recent winner and say, you know, great things about them and praise them to the hill. But I love the way that Mike McDaniel is coaching this Dolphins team, and I trust them to, if not top the AFC East, then they're certainly going to be in the playoffs come December. I agree that they'll be in the playoffs, Jack, but... They, the Bills just beat the Dolphins by 28 points. If this was like a one-score game on the road for the Dolphins, sure. I give it to you. They might be the better team. They just put up 70 against the Broncos just a week before, like you said. Probably a little bit overreacting to that, especially. They follow that up with a 28-point loss to a division opponent. But, like, I don't know. I just I trust Josh Allen more than I trust Tua. I don't think Tua can lead a team to be a division winner like Josh Allen can and has shown he can do that. Define what you mean from a playing style in terms of how you trust Josh Allen more than Tua. Is it because he's we, he has the track record and Tua just hasn't had the opportunity yet because of things like the concussion last year, he's dealt with injuries in the past? Because from a, a play style perspective, Josh Allen is more turnover prone. And I know, you know Tua might get called kind of like a more of a system quarterback. He's reliance on the personnel and the schemes around him, whereas Josh Allen can kind of create from nothing out of the pocket with his massive arm and, and propensity to run at great distances. Like, it's a stylistic battle, and I, I'm not sure we've seen enough of Tua under McDaniel to definitively say in the long term who's the top dog right now given their current rosters. Well, I think that's part of the problem is we haven't seen enough of Tua under Mike McDaniel. Like you said, I think you kind of just proved my point with that answer, Jack, is that Josh Allen has the track record. We've seen him under Sean McDermott play very well, play into the playoffs. We haven't necessarily seen that with Tua. This time next year, I think you would have a much better argument that Tua and the Dolphins are the better team of the Bills. But right now, especially after this last weekend, I know I know you already said that you don't like uh, to overreact after one week of play, but come on. I mean, a 28-point win, I just can't get over that. I think right now, Right here, Josh Allen and the Bills will lead the AFC East at the end of the year. But we'll uh, we'll move on from the AFC East. We'll have to wait and see a little bit on that. Let's talk about that NFC West, though. Opposite coast, opposite conference. But we're, we've both been a little bit surprised about what's been going on there, right, Jack? Yeah, I mean, coming into the season, everyone knew the Niners were going to be excellent. Um, they're always a competent offense, and the defense has continued to, to excel and I think the Seahawks, people expected to, to stay frisky at the very least. We know Geno can throw. They have good receivers. 
Uh, the running backs tend to look good, especially um, Ken Walker right now. But I think what's more interesting is the bottom end of this conference. Everyone thought the Rams, both the Rams and the Cardinals, would be part of the Caleb Williams sweepstakes. And while that might be the case at the end of the season, both teams have looked much more competent um, than I think we thought, especially the Puka Nakua, Matthew Stafford connection that we've seen from the Rams so far has been one of the best quarterback receiver duos in the league. And the Cardinals, their record might not show it, but they've been frisky. Um, if they had kept it together in the second half against the, the Giants, they might also be looking at a 2-2 two and two record. Um, and they're certainly in better shape than the Bears or the Panthers or the Broncos at this point in the season. Yeah, I, I was also surprised, especially with the Rams, as a Seahawks fan myself, as we've had a lot of conversations about, I was expecting Seattle to trounce Sean McVay and his team in week one. And the Rams came out and beat them 30-13, to 13, which is pretty crazy. And now the Seahawks have won three straight. So obviously the Seahawks are a good team, but you got to look at the Rams and say the Rams are a good team too. They're 2-2 two and two on the year. No one was expecting them to do much. You know, they won a Super Bowl just a couple years ago over the Bengals. And to do that, they had to trade all of their draft capital away, had a much worse team. But now look what they're doing. They lost to the 49ers and the Bengals. You know what you can say about the Bengals this year is they've been severely underperforming, but the Bengals, very good team. 49ers have the case for definitely the best team in the NFC West, potentially the best team in the NFL. And they've beaten the Seahawks and the Colts. Two very good wins and two losses against very good teams. Mind you, one score losses too. So I wouldn't be surprised if the Rams get in the conversation for the wild card. Yeah, and I think we'll see as the season goes on how good or bad that Bengals result was, right? Because right now, it definitely doesn't look good, but I think we, we're still in a phase where we trust Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase to figure it out, and we trust the Bengals coaching staff to return to the competency that we've seen in previous seasons. Um, but, I, you know, come November, they might be regretting that loss. I think the next game against the Eagles will get kind of a nice barometer of where they're at because the Eagles, while 4-0... It's not been an easy 4-0, especially this past weekend. They needed overtime to, to get over uh, the commanders. So the Eagles keep plugging away, but they're definitely vulnerable. And I'm interested to see if the Rams can kind of take advantage of that. On, on the note of the Eagles, I want to I talk one, uh, one thing that USC fans might remember back in the early 2000s, the whole Bush-Push scandal. USC was playing Notre Dame. Reggie Bush goes behind Matt Liner on a QB sneak, pushes him into the end zone. USC wins that game. A lot of controversy about behind that. And now the Eagles are doing a very similar play. They've done it since last year. The whole tush push with Jalen Hurts under center on QB sneaks, having two tight ends behind him, just pushing him in. Do you think that's a fair play that the Eagles are doing? Do you think there should be a rule change? I, I really don't feel passionately about a rule change. I think if we really want to be philosophical and, and kind of historical about it. It's like a rugby play, right? And we know that rugby and football kind of originated as one sport or very similar sports. Um, and like if it's legal in one branch of football, then I think it, it should be legal in another. I mean, as long as it doesn't, you know, present a particular injury risk, um, then, you know, just if you have the personnel, the linemen, the strength and the execution, like, You've got to take advantage of your of your assets. So I I have zero issue with this. I think people who are calling it for for it to be like removed uh, really just like 
have been, probably been on the, the losing end of it. So, um, you know, any team can do it. It's not just the Eagles. The Eagles are just the ones taking advantage of it right now. I mean, yeah, I think you, you made the point right there, Jack, is literally every team can do it. I've been watching NFL games, and I don't understand why other teams aren't implementing that same play. They've seen the tape. They've seen the formation doesn't get penalized. It works a good portion of the time. So I don't understand why other teams are not only complaining about it and then not doing it themselves. But, uh, but yeah. Are there any other, if you had to pick maybe in the AFC, since we've leaned NFC heavy the last few minutes here, uh, what teams who might not be top of their division in the AFC have kind of struck you as interesting or you know potential uh, wildcard candidates down the line? Well, obviously, I can never bet against Joe Burrow and the Bengals. We already talked about them a little bit. So I'll go over to the AFC South, which the mid most mid-conference, not only location, but also in talent so far this year, I've always been an Anthony Richard hater. Excuse me. I've always been an Anthony Richardson hater. I don't think he was deserving of a top 10 draft pick. And he got it. Whatever. I can't complain about it anymore. But, like, he's looked decent. And the Colts, I think, have a good roster. They have a good offensive line. Jonathan Taylor might be playing again this weekend. He uh, He's back off the pup list for the Colts. Obviously still has a trade request out there, so we'll see if he'll be on the move. Maybe to the Dolphins, that's been a rumor. But Anthony Richardson led Colts as he gets more familiar in the offense, as he gets more familiar as playing the NFL game. I think the Colts could potentially win the division. And on the same lens, Houston Texans, C.J. Stroud has looked really good himself too. So a bunch of rookie quarterbacks in the AFC South, Trevor Lawrence with the Jacksonville Jaguars, another young quarterback making waves. So I, I'm really interested to see how that AFC South will shake out. I don't think any of those teams are going to do anything once the playoffs hit. Obviously, one team has to make it as a division winner. But I'm, I'm really interested to see which team comes out of top in that division. Yeah, I think the Texans are my pick to, to run the table in the AFC South for the rest of the season. Stroud has just looked so composed. I mean... I, I think I saw the other day through four games, he has more uh, passing yards than Andrew Luck in his rookie season. Um, and obviously, you know, the league has changed a little bit since then. But I think that really speaks to his kind of composure and uh, competency so far. And, you know, their their receiver core has actually looked better than I think people expected. Nico Collins, he, had, he, he showed some flashes last season, but he's he's like showed maybe potential wide receiver one traps. And Tank Dell uh, kind of tailed off in week four, but um, in weeks two and three, he was a, a serious threat um, to the other team. So, you know, we'll see if the league kind of figures them out over time. But D'Amico Ryans has a, at least seemed to kind of install a program in Houston um, at maybe a faster rate than fans would have expected. And I'm excited to see uh, how they progress and maybe if Stroud, you know, makes a case for rookie of the year. Well, I, I want to go to a different team, the Jacksonville Jaguars. Again, I think my football takes are all about experience. I talked about it with Josh Allen having the experience. Talked about it with Anthony Richardson. All my takes have been he doesn't have enough experience to be worthy of a top 10 pick. Obviously, the Colts thought differently than I did. Same thing with Trevor Lawrence. He's been an NFL QB for a couple of years now. You know, Ryan Tannehill, obviously, with the Titans, has a lot more experience. But I, I really think Trevor Lawrence is going to take that leap. We've already seen flashes of it. He's playing really well. All of those teams are 2-2 two and two right now, and I think the Jacksonville Jaguars, led by Trevor Lawrence, will get over the hump. 
Calvin Ridley's looked great coming off of his gambling suspension. Hopefully he'll do even better for my fantasy team. Same thing for you, Damian Pierce on the Texans. But uh, I, I really like the Jacksonville Jaguars to come out of the South. Yeah, and I think this week is actually going to be a really interesting game uh, because they they stayed in London over the week, I believe. They did not go back to Jacksonville, and they'll be playing the Bills. Uh, and obviously Jacksonville's kind of like a, or excuse me, London is kind of a second home city for Jacksonville because of the owners owning Fulham FC, and they play there every year. And this year they're playing there multiple times. And, uh, you know, they're going to be more kind of adjusted to the, the rhythms of being in Europe than the Bills are. So I wonder if, if this is a week where we see the Jaguars and Trevor Lawrence kind of take the Bills by surprise um, in a game that if it was being played on U.S. soil, I think the Bills would, would be heavy favorites. Well, that's all we have time for for our NFL segment. We'll take a little bit of a break and then hit you with some NBA and MLB stat lines. Well, welcome back from that short break um, here, Thomas Johnson with Jack Hallinan, and we're jumping into some MLB playoffs, which started today, wild card round, and there have already been some interesting scores. The Rangers won 4 nothing, and the Twins, surprisingly, at least to me, beat the Blue Jays 3-1, to and the other two games still in play. It looks like the Diamondbacks are going to beat the Brewers. They're currently leading 6-3 in the top of the ninth. Phillies are leading the Marlins 3-1 in the bottom of the eighth. Let's talk about that wild card round, Jack. Four matchups, at least today. Who do you think is going to come out of each of these rounds? I've got in uh, from the NL, I'm sticking with the Diamondbacks. I know they didn't finish the season uh, as great as they started it, but I like the young core that are building. And, you know, I, I really just want to see Corbin Carroll play more playoff games. I think he is by far one of the most interesting players left in the wild card. And I just, the Brewers don't really excite me. They're always competent and they have a good uh, rotation, but I would much rather see the Diamondbacks keep going in the playoffs than the Brewers. The other NL uh, wild card race before, or sorry, the other NL wild card uh, series, which I'll, I'll give my pick before I ask you for yours, I'm going to go with the Phillies. The Marlins just, they were a fun story over the course of the season. But they just shouldn't be here. You know, like when you look at run differential from the, the regular season, they were far outpaced by the Phillies and the Cubs who missed the playoffs. Um, they had like an amazing record in one score games. It's just rather improbable that they got to this point. So when a team like the Phillies who still have, they still have all the bats that got them to the World Series uh, where they fell to the Astros. Um, so I think they're going to wipe the floor with Miami in two games and be over with it. But who, who do you have coming out? I think I, I have to agree with you. I think there's there's no doubt. Uh, excuse me. Sorry. Did you say you think the Diamondbacks are going to beat the Brewers? Yes. Well, I think I think the Brewers, as much as I hate to say it, are going to come out on top of that one because similar story, the Arizona Diamondbacks have a negative 15 run differential on the season, yet they were six games over 500, obviously made it into the playoffs. I think if you're going to say that the Marlins are going to lose to the Phillies, you also have to say that the Diamondbacks are going to lose to the Brewers. And so, although Corbin Carroll, great story, great young player in that middle of the Diamondbacks order, I just I can't root against the Brewers here in this series. So I know two favorites that I'm picking. I'm probably going to be wrong, but I, I think the Brewers and the Phillies are going to come out on top. What about the AL? What do you make of... Rangers Rays first. 
That is such a tough question because the Rangers started out really strong at the beginning part of the season, but then they let the Astros and Mariners come tearing back. And obviously they were they were able to just escape, get into the playoffs. That is the Rangers were. So I still think the Rangers are going to pull it out. Obviously, they already won the first game, so they're one game away. They can go 1-1 one and one in the last two games. The Rays have to go 2-0 and oh if they have to move on. Obviously, the Rays had the better regular season, so at least I get to choose one underdog in this in this fight. But I do think the Rangers are going to win. Jordan Montgomery pitched great today. Obviously, didn't give up any earned runs in that win for the Rangers. I think he's a great pitcher. Pitched for my Cardinals earlier this season, so I know a lot about him. But I do think the Rangers are going to win that one. And even though the Twins won earlier today, I think the Blue Jays just have the better roster. I think the Blue Jays are just more built for the playoffs the Twins, obviously, in that weak AL Central, they play teams around uh, the the whole league, obviously, but most of their games lie within the AL Central, and they were only 12 games above 500. The Blue Jays had to play in the AL East, which is an insanely tough conference. It has been for a couple of years, but the fact that the Twins were only 12 games above 500 in any other conference, excuse me, in any other division, they would have squeaked into the playoffs if they made it at all I don't think they would have so I think the Blue Jays come out on top in that one yeah I think the Twins you know I'm I'm a Guardians fan so I'm, I'm familiar with how terrible the AL Central was this year and the Twins are definitely not inspiring and I'm purely just going off vibes here but I I tuned into the the final out for Blue Jays Twins today and the Twin Cities fans were so loud and fired up about this team finally winning a playoff game, that I'm just I'm just picking them for the series. It just inspired me to do so. You know, it it might go to the end of the ge- of the of the third game. You know, down to the wire, but I think the Twins are going to take it in three. And I'm also going to go Rangers uh, in two games here. The Rays, you know, both teams obviously fell off kind of as the as the season went on. But the Rays, their the win really got taken out of their sails. And obviously, Wander Franco is missing for uh, obvious reasons, and it's just bad vibes uh over there in tampa so i'm gonna go rangers twins and they have a wild card all right I'll, I'll i'll just pull this out the detroit tigers were second in the al central with a 78 and 84 record the blue jays in the al east the worst team were the boston red sox in that division they had the same record at 78 and 84 as the second best team in the central so i'm just not inspired by the twins but last question before we move on to the NBA World Series picks. I said it earlier today to a friend. I'm going to go Dodgers, Orioles with the Dodgers taking it home. Orioles back to the World Series. Okay. I don't really know who I think is going to come out of the AL. I think it's just too tough to root against the Braves. Obviously, we've seen it time and time again. It's usually happened with the Dodgers where the best team in the NL gets into the playoffs, and then they just flunk. Like They don't pass any of the tests, and they get eliminated. But I think the Braves are going to be one team that will finally break the hump. I think the Orioles are a good pick. But again, I've said it multiple times on this podcast, I just love experience. I think the Astros are going to meet up against the Braves in the World Series, and I think it's going to be the Braves taking it home. That's all the time we have for the MLB segment, but we're going to not take a break, jump right into our NBA segment. Big trade last week, last Wednesday, Damian Lillard 
moves from the Pacific Northwest in Portland over to the Midwest, Milwaukee Bucks. Do you think that makes the Bucks the top dog in the East? It's so difficult, but I'm actually going to go for the Celtics as still the top team in the East. Um, that Giannis Dame pick and roll is going to be basically unguardable. Dame gives Milwaukee shooting like they simply haven't had in this Giannis era, just the, his range and ability to create threes basically out of nothing. Um, but I, at least in a, in a playoff setting, I love what Boston has done with the Drew Holiday addition. He was so crucial to the Bucs winning a championship. And the combination of you know, size and length that they have on to guard the perimeter in the playoffs. And that's so much of the playoffs is is predicted by what you're able to defend against on the perimeter. And, you know, Tatum is going to hopefully take a small step forward. If Jalen Brown takes a small step forward, then this team has the just kind of all out, all around ability to, I think, take on any team in the league. And I saw some weird takes over the weekend that the Celtics you know, people are down in the Celtics because they gave up a lot of depth who has helped them in the past to acquire Drew and, and Christoph Porzingis. And I don't think people realize that, like, your ability to win a championship requires top-end talent. It's not about depth. I mean, depth, of course, matters. You need a solid eight players so you can roll out in the playoffs. But when it really gets down to it, it's who has the best starting five, who has the top-end talent. And as good as Rob Williams has been for the Celtics in the past, you know, if he plays 40 regular season games, that's been like a small miracle in recent years. And you just can't depend on guys like him and Marcus Spart, who, you know, when he has the ball in a final possession in a playoff game, like you just don't know what's going to happen. And he matured a little bit in recent years. But I think, you know, taking a, a Wiley, Wiley veteran who already has a ring and drew and adding it to the Celtics core is just going to like infuse them uh, with competitiveness and defense in the playoffs. Man, I think we're on the same wavelength exactly, Jack, because I'm also going to pick the Celtics because of Drew Holiday. I think that's the only reason I put him above. Obviously, the Bucks traded Drew Holiday to Portland, quickly got shipped over to Boston, and you, you've you seen the stats. Drew Holiday is an insane defender, defends Damian Lillard specifically pretty well, uh, especially in the playoffs, and you got two top-scoring threats in Tatum and Brown, those two can be your shooting threats. Tatum also has good defense. And then you have Drew Holiday defending the perimeter. Obviously, it's going to be tough to stop Giannis. But if you can take Damian Lillard, his second guy out of the game, Chris Middleton, eh, not the greatest player either. So if you just rely on Giannis, they might win two, three games in a seven-game series, but that's not four. That's not winning you the series. And on that depth note, I really liked bringing in Jordan Walsh for the Celtics, that that rookie out of Arkansas. He underperformed a little bit while he was at Arkansas, but he got picked up by the Celtics. I think the Celtics have a great coaching staff. They can turn him not into, I don't think he'll ever be a starting player, but you can make the argument in a couple of years, he'll be six man of the year material. So I, I agree that the Celtics don't have a ton of depth, but... Derek White, I think, is a starting caliber player. Luke Cornett, he'll be good to replace Horford. Obviously, again, no one's going to be able to defend Giannis, but if you can slow him down at any point in the game, that's a win for the Celtics. So I, I'm also going to pick the Celtics as the top dog. But do you think 
Damian Lillard, how how much longer do you think his prime is? Do you think he's going to be contributing for all that many more years? I mean, he plays a, a position, um, you know, just with his shooting that he can kind of extend his prime until maybe 35, 36. I'm not really worried about that for him. I think it's more about if this season doesn't work the way they, they want it to, is he still happy and is Giannis still happy? Because this, this was an all-in move that Milwaukee made effectively to, to show Giannis that they care about him and that they're willing to give him the ammunition he needs to win a title. But that doesn't mean that he's guaranteed to stay in Milwaukee long-term if this Dame thing doesn't work out. I mean, he's five years younger than Dame. Maybe Dame still wants to go to Miami in a summer or two summers. So, you know, like, I think there's more stakes on Giannis and the Bucks than there is in, in Tatum and the Celtics right now because the Celtics still have, you know, a few years to kind of figure out how to build a championship roster. Giannis has one, maybe two seasons with Dame before I think we can, you know, start to, to question this experiment. And, you know, if you want to, going back to the, the, the depth thing, if you want to level a, a depth argument against the Celtics, I think you have to look at the, the Bucks depth as well. And it's not inspiring. I mean, Dame and Giannis, of course, are two, are, you know, top 15 players. So the high-end talent is, of course, there. Chris Middleton was banged up last year. We really have no clue what we're getting from him this season. Brooke, Brooke Lopez is 35. How much longer can he keep doing this, like, stretch five thing? And then, you know, going down, is Jay Crowder going to suddenly show up again for them? You know, is Pat Connaughton going to be, like, a serviceable sixth or seventh man? Bobby Portis is more of, like, a energy and character guy and defense guy than a real, you know, scorer in any and, capacity. And, and he's getting paid $11 million to do that, Bobby Portis is. Yeah, exactly. I, you know, I think he's he's a little bit overvalued there. Um, even if he is like a, a good enough locker room presence that he was included in the in the U.S. Uh, FIBA roster this past summer. So you know, playoff series are about top talent, as we said. These two teams are basically evenly matched in that regard. I think the Celtics have the best defensive backcourt in the league with with Derek White and uh, Drew Holiday. So you know, we'll see what happens over the course of a seven game series that I pray we get to see these two teams play uh, but the Celtics are my tentative number one team in the east right now fair enough well I'll make one last point before we head into our last segment of the day Damian Lillard had 32.2 points per game this past season that's a career high for him which when I saw that trade I was like oh he's on the downturn of his career but he played his arguably his best basketball obviously he was the only weapon, the true weapon that the Portland Trailblazers had. They traded some pieces midseason, so he had to be that 32.2 points per game scorer. But now that you have Dame to take over a game like that that he can, Giannis, we already know what he can do, take over the game like he can. It's going to be interesting how those two play together. I know I said last point, but I want to ask one question. Who do you think leads the Bucks in scoring next year in points per game average, Dame or Giannis? I'm going to go Dame just because, you know, I think they're going to respect that he needs volume, but it, it'll be close. I mean, they'll both be between 24 and 29, I'm sure. I, I, I think I'm going to go Giannis here, but I think it's going to be really close. I think I'm going to put Giannis around 28.8 and Dame in the 27 range, but We'll take another quick break, and then we're talking some college football.
Welcome back for our last segment, our fourth topic of the day. That is the CFP. Jack, we're a couple weeks into the season. Most of the teams have played five games. Who would you put in your top six at this very moment? Not who you think is going to be in the CFP at the end of the year, but at this very moment, your top six. I honestly think that it's somewhat of a crime. Someone needs to be punished that one of Washington, Oregon, and USC is not in the top six, if not two of them. I understand that like AP polls have a lot to do with politics and precedent. Like A team like Georgia has won the last two national championships, and so we kind of blindly trust them to be one of the best teams uh, in college football again. And like that, to a certain extent, that is the way things work. Programs become sort of mini dynasties. You know, we've seen it from Alabama. We've seen it from Ohio State. We've seen it from Clemson in the past. Um, and, you know, I'm not saying Georgia is going to like fall off a cliff here. That, that would be a, a preposterous argument. But it's just, you know, them, Michigan, to a lesser extent, Texas, Ohio State, Florida State. We just haven't seen them play particularly inspiring schedules. And, and even though all these teams are undefeated, you know, I, I don't think, you know, going to Georgia, sorry, excuse me, going to, to Auburn and playing a one possession game. Uh, should fill Georgia fans with confidence. And, you know, they had a, a scare against South Carolina the week before that. Michigan has arguably played played better, but they've played just a cupcake schedule. And uh, J.J. McCarthy, who was talked about as kind of a Heisman sleeper before the season, threw three picks against Bowling Green. You know, like, are, are these really the top two teams in the country? Even though, you know, Washington played a iffy game against Arizona this past weekend, I almost think they're just more deserving of a number two spot than Michigan. I don't know if I'm out of bounds here or have I gone too far with this argument? I I agree. I think Oregon and Washington should be in the top six, but I honestly, there's no way Georgia is going to drop from that number one spot until maybe the CFP rankings come out because it'd be kind of hypocritical for the AP voters to keep having Georgia at this number one spot. They kind of have a, even though they play technically four currently ranked teams the rest of the season, they kind of have a cupcake schedule still because Kentucky is 20, Mizzou's 21, Ole Miss is 16, former USC Trojan Jackson Dart will probably give, and former USC head coach Lane Kiffin will probably give the Bulldogs their toughest test of the year up to this point. And then they play 22 Tennessee, who has been not looking that impressive after a really strong season last year. So even though they play four ranked teams, all of them probably should not be ranked at this point, they still have a cupcake schedule, but I think it would be kind of hypocritical, even if they do struggle against those teams, for Georgia to be dropped. But I do agree with you, Georgia should not be in that number one spot. Where I do disagree with you, though, is I think Michigan should have that number one spot. I think, I mean, I don't, I don't, who, if it's not Michigan or Georgia, who's your number one team in the country at this point? I would put Texas there. Um, uh, they uh. they went to Alabama and won and a bat the worst Alabama team in the last seven years. But the worst Alabama team I think is better than any team that Georgia or Michigan has beat so far this season. You you can't say that when we just recently saw Alabama almost lose to South Florida. Like I don't know. Like again, Alabama is still. No, I can't even say that. They're a bad team. They they are a bad team. Their only reason they're still ranked, to be honest, is because of Nick Saban and that precedent like you were talking about. And obviously, they did beat Ole Miss, 
but I just I don't think Alabama's a good team this year. So I think Texas beating them, sure. It's a ranked win. It's a win that is will get them brownie points, come the CFP, get them a resume builder. But I don't think it's inspiring enough for me to put them at number one. I mean, they also beat a Kansas team that was ranked last week, though. I mean, I, I think on their second quarterback, on their backup quarterback. Sure. I mean, but but to that and to those ends, I think what we what we can agree on, even though we're kind of disagreeing on the particulars here, is that it's all a mess and that no team has really made a case so far. And I think out of a bunch of bad candidates, Texas has been my number one team so far. And if they beat Oklahoma this weekend, who have now surged to twelve in the AP poll after a down year in 2023, um, excuse me, 2022, I think that like this Texas team has just as good of a case as Michigan or Georgia um, because none of these teams have played a particularly great schedule and they haven't really dominated that schedule in the way that you like to see from them. You know, even Penn State, who's kind of gone up to sixth, I, I get the hype. Nick Singleton is a amazing running back. Um, Drew Aller has been a very good quarterback as well. Maybe you know, we'll be a Heisman contender next year or something. But, you know, I think, like, Washington or Oregon should certainly be in that spot. Even Florida State got scared by a bad Boston College team, didn't convincingly beat Clemson. Like, none of these teams are particularly deserving of their spot. And I would rather pick a team that has legitimately shown something, like Oregon, who have I get it. Colorado and Stanford are not two of the the better teams in the Power Five. You know, maybe we'll see what happens with Colorado. They could get a bowl game. But Oregon has shown more than certainly Florida State or Penn State so far. And, you know, I I think by the end of the season, Michigan will probably be a better team with a better resume than one of these Pac-12 contenders. But just in terms of the optics and the performances that we've seen from them so far... I hate what I've seen from the top six teams. Okay, I, I, I can very much agree with that. I feel like any team, even going down all the way to top 10 right now, which is Notre Dame, you could even make the case for Oklahoma at 12, but I do think they're going to get boat raced by Texas this weekend. Could make a case for winning the national championship, which seems crazy to say. I mean, all the teams are undefeated we haven't seen, except, again, Notre Dame, who lost to Ohio State. The top nine teams are all undefeated. We haven't seen any of them lose. But beyond all this discussion, the point of the conversation was top six. So I'll give you my top six. I'll want to hear your top six, then we can discuss a little more. So for me, it's Michigan, Texas, Washington, Georgia, Ohio State, then Oregon. Interesting. Okay. I'm going to go Texas number one, Oregon number two. Michigan three, Ohio State four, Georgia five, and I'm going to go show some love to the Trojans here, USC at six. Did you have Washington in that top six? Oh, you're right. I should have Washington up there. You know, I'm going to sub in Washington for, uh, for Ohio State and just, and just go all in on the Pac-12. It's so, not gonna, that's not how, how things are going to finish. Those, some of those teams are going to beat each other. But I, I just I, I really love what I've seen from these Pac-12 teams so far. So that that puts Washington at five then or four? Four. Four. Okay. Okay. So a Pac-12 team at two, four, and six. I I, I could get behind that. I don't know. I 
My problem is Ohio State. They did beat Notre Dame, not necessarily the greatest team, and it had to literally go down to the final play. And part of that was because Marcus Freeman and the Fighting Irish could not put 11 defenders on for the last two plays of the game. But I do like that win for Ohio State. And I guess we can discuss a little bit here is why do you have Oregon above Washington? What like what's what's better about them for you? They've, the efficiency they've shown the last two weeks of conference play is unbelievable. You know, I get it. Again, Stanford, Colorado, not great opponents, but to win back to back game, back to back games, forty two to six, while Washington uh, kind of struggled against Arizona, and Arizona showed a little bit of how you can get at Washington. We just haven't really seen the fallibility in this Oregon team yet. They're so balanced on both sides of the ball, whereas Washington is better defensively than USC, but they they still show the same kind of offense-heavy issues uh, that have caused USC problems so far. So just on balance of both sides of the ball, I've, I've got to give it to Oregon. But to that point about Ohio State, Notre Dame, and we can finish kind of on this question, is Ohio State's win in South Bend the best win in college football so far this season for you? Wow, that is a good, good question. I mean... Are we talking like best resume win or best win that I've seen? Yeah, best best resume win. I mean, I don't, I like nothing else comes to mind because Texas beating Alabama, like I said before, I think this is a bad Alabama team. You can maybe make a case for Oregon, Colorado, but that's more of like a narrative storyline thing than an yeah. actual football argument. I think that probably got more storylines. I agree, just because. Colorado was ranked going into that matchup, and then the Ducks drubbed Colorado. But yeah, I think I do have to agree with you that at this point in the season, because Ohio State, uh, excuse me, Notre Dame, still in the top 10 now, was higher up in the top 10 for that game. I think that has to be the best resume win so far. You could make the argument Oregon and Washington are playing each other soon. Same with Texas and Oklahoma. So this will likely change. But I think at this point, Ohio State even though it was a very, very, very narrow win over the Fighting Irish, I think that has to be the best resume-building game so far this season. I'd say quick shout maybe for Oregon State over Utah. Obviously, those two teams are a little bit lower down uh, in the rankings, but I think that was a, a definitely impressive win from Oregon State, even though Utah are still missing Cam Rising. But I think, yeah, in in the meantime, definitely Ohio State's kind of last-minute victory over, over Notre Dame is the marquee game of college football so far. I, I do want to give a shout-out on that Oregon State note is Washington State over Oregon State. They beat them 38-35 uh, to 35 on September 23rd. So that was a pretty fun game to watch, the, the old, the old Pac-2 staying together. But that is all the time we have for For the Win. For everyone at Annenberg Media, I'm Thomas Johnson here with Jack Hallinan. We'll see you next week.